Good morning, Exchange Church. How are you doing? Happy February 16th, where the roses are now a reasonable price. I am in part two of a series I started last week called Till Death Do We Part. And it's marriage series, and I find myself tempted to convince you to listen. (laughs) I get that married people that are struggling are like, please, please fix my husband. I get that. But, But my temptation is to convince single people that this is relevant, or young people that this is relevant, or people that have been married for 1,600 years that this is relevant. But I, I took, uh, I guess the Lord spoke to me through Taylor Swift. <laughs> and she says, a line, uh, haters gonna hate, hate, hate. And I changed it to learners gonna learn, learn, learn. Because when you're a student, everything is a teacher. Whether you're in that season of life where the, the marriage concept is at work in your daily life or not, there are lessons to be learned, whether you're 12 years old or 92 years old, there are lessons here. And, and what I'm finding as I study about marriage, um, and it's interesting because I'm studying for this series while my wife is away. So I'm pretty much a bachelor, eating very much like a bachelor. <laughs> and my kids are loving it because we have a lot of junk food in the house. Um, but... It's interesting to me that as I'm, I'm kind of diving into what Scripture says about marriage, I'm, I'm seeing my relationship with Jesus in, in such a more profound way than I've ever seen before. And so these aren't just marriage concepts or relationship concepts today. The, these are kisses from the Father to you. I feel a bit sensitive in this service, and I'm not sure why. I know that I miss my wife, but I, I wasn't sensitive first service. So I don't know what the Lord is wanting to do in this service. I sense there's some real heart surgery that's going to happen here. I sensed in worship that there was a tearing down of walls, a, a breaking down of pride, a full surrender going on in the hearts of the people in this room. And I don't know what that translates to in the sermon But if you'll just give me the flexibility to kind of just flow with whatever the Spirit is doing and in this moment. First service, I only got through point number one of a four-point sermon. And I'm going to try to only get to point number one. So don't worry. This doesn't mean that I'm going to keep you here here till dinner. I'm going to stop at the same place so that we're, you know, both uh, crowds are in the same location. Uh, But I just sense that the Lord is doing something in the room. You know, in the very beginning of the first marriage relationship, God gave us instructions as to how marriage should work. In Genesis chapter 2, he created Adam and Eve one for another, and he gave us very clear instructions on how marriage should work. And we see in Matthew 19, actually, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. 
and the Pharisees are trying to come at him with some distorted, perverted view of marriage. And Jesus actually in Matthew 19, you can read it for yourself, refers back and quotes Genesis 2, 24 through 25, which is our text today. And not only that, we see in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. And he's reminding them that since the foundation of the world, when marriage was created by heaven and by God, that there is a very authoritative and vital text in Genesis 2. The Apostle Paul points back to Genesis 2. So from Old Testament to New Testament, we see this very critical block of text that creates the laws of marriage. My title for today is The Four Foundational Laws of Marriage. Last week, I told you I, I came in the first part of this series and I did, I said it was like an ER visit. If you were here, you remember I said, hey, let's do triage because I feel like there are marriages on the brink of disaster. And so we just spent some time, I gave you some handles to hopefully take and utilize so that you could at least breathe some life and have some hope into your marriage. But what I want to do today is I want to pull the plane up just a little bit. I want a higher view of marriage, and I want to give you four foundational laws of marriage. I went over two of them last week, very briefly, the first two. I actually had someone come up to me after church last week and said, hey, you only said two of the laws. I've got to fill in the blanks. Can you tell me the other two laws? And so I shared the laws. Uh, I'm sorry to say I still won't get them to them today in this sermon. Uh, but we're going to go a little bit deeper in the laws, the foundational laws, because when there are laws that get broken, it results in failure. If I say to you that there are laws of marriage and we break the laws of marriage, we can't expect our marriage to survive. It's the same with the law of aerodynamics, right? A plane flies in the air because it follows certain laws. There's this thing called lift and acceleration and a whole bunch of other stuff that smarter people than me understand. All I know is this, I was scared of flying. I took a fear of flying course online. I learned all about the sounds of the engine and what I should expect and what turbulence really is and all of that. I, I learned that there aren't like dead spots on planet Earth where if you fly over it, the plane will just fall out of the sky. And that's, a, that's good news to a scaredy cat like me. Flying in an airplane is really no different than being on a boat in the water because it is governed by certain laws that cannot fail you unless they are broken. My, my son Micah got his pilot's license. He's in Australia. And uh, Carrie is down there. My wife is down there throughout the duration of this series. I think she'll be here on the final Sunday of this series, so I'll let her correct everything that I've done wrong. But... She called me or texted me the other day, and she said, hey, tomorrow Mike is going to take me flying. And I said, oh, oh, Lord Jesus, please. It was like on day three of me not having my wife. I was like, please, Lord, just bring her back to me. Get her, get her home. Like in one, it doesn't even have to be one piece. Just get her back to me. I, I just need her back to me. And so she, okay, one piece, preferable. <laughs> Never mind. Um, 
So anyway, she texts me a few hours later and said, no, never mind, we're not going to go because it's raining. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I texted her and I said, well, listen, do me a favor. If and when he decides to take you flying, don't tell me. I'm already praying for you. I believe that my prayers will cover you. Like I'm praying that you get back safely. You have a good time, yada, yada, yada. I assume that good time doesn't include plane crash. So just don't tell me until you're back on the ground. Like I don't want to worry about I don't want to stress about it. And she texts back and goes, oh, okay, good idea. I'll have other people praying. <laughs> so then I text her back. I'm like, no, now you, now you really got to tell me when you're going because if something happens and you didn't tell me, I'm going to think it's because I wasn't praying and I will blame myself for the rest of my life. You just got to tell me either way. So I found out last night that she is probably going flying in the next 14, 18, 28 hours, whatever. And I ain't scared. Because there are laws that will not be broken, except my son likes to break laws. So anyway, the laws of marriage are much the same. This is really good news for us. Okay, I'm, I'm about to get to our text and pray. This is just my intro. But this is really good news for us because if we understand the four foundational laws of marriage, number one, it tells us what we need to do. It gives us focus to create a healthy marriage. We don't have to search every episode of Oprah and Dr. Phil and Google this and Google that. We can go to God's word. Like, why not go to the inventor of marriage if we want to have a healthy, sustainable marriage? This is where it's at. So when we know the four laws, we know exactly what we need to do. But there's another side to the coin. If your marriage is in trouble today, if there's any form of tension, any, any form of strife, Every problem that any marriage can ever encounter, if you funnel it back, it will always come back to you are breaking one of these four laws. And if you fix that, you fix the problem. And that's good news for those of us who have been searching for relief. That's good news for those of us who have been asking, is this all marriage is supposed to be? What are the laws? They're found in Genesis chapter 2, our text for today. 2, 24 through 25. The good news is this. When God creates anything, he creates it for success. And he's building marriage. We see here right after he creates marriage, he gives us the foundations of marriage. Verse 24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for the power that is in these two verses. God, the four laws are, are right there in two, these two verses. God, I, I didn't know that it could be so simple. I didn't know it could be so simple to live the life that you've designed for us, that you've created for us, the, the marriage that is rewarding day in, day out. It's not an up and down roller coaster. It's not one foot, one foot out. It's, it's not wondering if this thing is going to get off the ground and make it. God, you have a plan for success 100% of the time, and we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen. 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 So he created a foundation for marriage to ensure that every marriage, look at your neighbor, say every marriage, every marriage. 
every marriage could succeed 100% of the time. 100%. This is, this is awesome for those of us in the room who are skeptics, pessimistic, melancholy, whatever, whatever new personality test is out there that wants to identify you as the realist, whatever it is. Those of you who get into a relationship and you say, oh, I really hope this thing's going to make it. Or you say, I really think we have a good chance of succeeding. I'm here to tell you that marriage is not a 50-50 chance of succeeding. Marriage is the, the best thing since before sliced bread. It is 100% chance of you succeeding in your marriage if you do it God's way. You want to do it your own way, it doesn't come with a money back guarantee. It may come with a whole lot of other problems, but if you do it God's way, if you really look at these four Laws in Genesis 2, 24 through 25, there is a 100% chance that your marriage will not just make it till you die, but it will continue to get better and better and better and better. You will have increasing and better communication. You will have increasing and better sex. You will have increasing and better finances. I saw so many heads go. <laughs> it's true. This is the thing that God designed and created for us. It's marriage, and it's, it's beautiful. It's not this ball and chain like culture would want you to think. Marriage is the, one of the greatest gifts that you and I have ever received from heaven. Oftentimes, the reason we think marriage isn't a gift is because we've never read the manual for how to drive the car. We got in a souped-up car, and we had all the bells and whistles, electric this, electric that. The problem is we, we never bothered to read how to work the seat warmers. We, we never bothered how to read how to work the radio. You know what I mean? Marriage, marriage is very powerful, and it's a blessing when we follow the four laws that God has given to us. So what are the laws? I'm glad you asked. Law number one, which is point number one, which is my ending point for the day. <laughs> the law of priority. Priority. Verse 24. The law comes from verse 24. And it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother. Some translations say, for this cause a man leaves his father and his mother. If you want your marriage to be successful, you have to follow the law of priority. Marriage can't just be in any place. It has to be first place. It has to be above work. It has to be above your past mistakes. It has to be, it has to be above your children. It has to be above your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, like, if you, if you want marriage to work, it has to be the number one thing that you focus on. Like, it has to be the top number, not in a list of priorities. I, I know that in this multitask, you know, multitasking used to be really in. It was the buzzword. Remember, I don't know, a couple decades ago, if you wanted to get a job, the new word was multitasking, and you'd go in and get an interview. I'm really good at multitasking. 
Oh, you're good at multitasking? No, I multitask so much, I task my multitasking. <laughs> it was in. Now everyone can multitask, right? It's, it, everyone can multitask because what it, we found out it really is is distraction. Or I can get distracted over here and over here and over here all at the same time. I can multi-distract, and you call it multitask, right? Multitask. I'm not, I'm not suggesting to you that we have all of these priorities on the table, like a lazy Susan that spins. Oh, I think I'll have a bite of uh, filet mignon. Spin. I think I'll have a bite of broccoli cheddar cheese soup. And spin. I think I'll have some jasmine rice with a hint of... Partially, and you spend the lazy, you know, it's like we kind of think if I just juggle all of the priorities and I give them all attention, that somehow they will all survive. But let me just tell you that everything on the lazy Susan depends on you having one thing in the center, and that's called your marriage. Your marriage must be the priority. Isn't it that way with God? I didn't mean to point so passionately, (laughs) but isn't it? Like everything else in life falls together. Matthew 6, if you seek him first, all of these other things will fall into place. We don't have to worry about multitasking and juggling this and juggling that. Let's just seek him. Your marriage has to be the first priority. I believe that when you said you do, when you got married, that God did something inside of you. There's this... This shifting of priorities. This healthy jealousy that took root. There's a biblical jealousy, by the way. I know we get, we get our perspective is distorted because we only think of the word jealousy in light of the lunatic who's driving with his wife. He sees a man make eyes at his wife as he's driving by, so he runs him off the road, Right? Oh, he's jealous. He's jealous. Or the, the spouse who won't let the other spouse dress in a certain way because they're jealous that they might draw the attention of others. Like that is unhealthy jealousy. But there is a biblical jealousy. In fact, one of God's names is jealous. You don't hear that preached about a lot, do you? Oh, he's God the healer. He's God the deliverer. He's God. His name is jealous. Exodus 34, 14 says, Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous. That's a capital J. That is his name. He named himself that. Listen, names are a big deal. This is not just an adjective. Adjective, adverb. Adjective. (laughs) He's not saying he's a jealous God. He's saying that on the end. What he's saying there is, hey, I'm not just acting jealous. That's my name. What does, jealous mean? what does jealous mean? It means intolerant of rivalry. He isn't a sick jealous. God isn't a sick jealous. He is a passionate jealous. He will, he, he, he will put you first in, in all things. He will, he will make you number one, and he wants the same from you. He wants to be number one on the throne of your heart and your life. And, and there's something, there's a jealousy that happens when you say, I do. Now, those of you that have had kids, maybe you recognize this when you have kids. I know that I did. Carrie and I got married in 1994. In September 
1994. In July of 1995, our son Micah was born. Now, to save those of you who are trying to do the math, it was 10 months. <laughs> he was born in July. The moment he was born, I felt something shift. I was like, I'm a, I'm a dad. This kid is ugly. <laughs> and I love him anyway. You know what I mean? He, he, was, he was ugly. I actually... I was praying for my granddaughter. I, the one that was just born, I was just praying. Thank God, she's a beautiful baby, because Micah, no. I don't really think babies are pretty, generally, to be honest. I mean, anyway. Anyway, he looked like a turtle, but I loved him. The moment, the moment he was born, there was a shift. There was this, this holy jealousy. Like, you belong to me. The nurses come in, turn them over, stick thermometers in places and do stuff. I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. That's my boy. Watch who you're messing with. You know what I mean? You, any parent in the room, you know exactly, especially for your first kid. Second and on, it gets a little easier. <laughs> the first, man, mm, this jealousy sets in. It's the same thing when you say I do and it's a covenant between you and your spouse and God. There, there is this, because jealous is a part of his nature, it must be present in every covenant that he partakes in. So there needs to be this, hey, you belong to me and I belong to you. And, and together this thing has to be a priority. There's a secular study that was done I want to share with you. This is not a Christian study at all, but it is a true study. It, there's not a, a punchline at the end. Um, it's a secular study, survey done by, by, I don't know the count. I probably should uh, remember that. I just have forgotten. But it says this. When you first get married, your satisfaction level in your marriage is very high. Now, for those of you who are about to tie the knot, there are a few in the room in, in, at the Exchange Church. We're about to do some weddings around here. It is at an all-time all high, typically, when you say, I do. However, when kids enter the equation, satisfaction drops significantly. Kids, it's not your fault. It's not your fault at all. We don't blame you. We're not bitter. But what we have found is, or they have found, is typically enough to make the chart dip. Mom focuses on kids. Dad focuses on career. And even if mom is working outside of the home, in her home hours, she is more attentive. Typically, stereotypes can always be broken. Don't get offended over that. But typically... Mom will send her attention to kids. Dad will typically send his attention even during the home hours of legacy, inheritance, the future, planning, saving, what's next on the to-do list. So when kids enter, marriage satisfaction goes down. 
get this, when your kids enter middle school or high school, your marriage will reach an all-time satisfaction low. The reason? Because kids' schedules are busy. We have to run them here, run them there, uh, tell them to take showers. We have to tell them to use deodorant. Uh, We're now dealing with kids with hormones, kids that are growing into man-sized bodies without man-sized brains. Kids need a lot, of attention, a lot of attention. Middle school is tough. For anyone in middle school right now, I just I pray over you that God will continue to bless you and give you favor and solidify your identity because, listen, you're not crazy. Middle school is a tough season of life. So don't feel alone. We've all been that kid. We've all been that middle school kid who felt like we were alone Felt like no one loved us. Felt like the pimples were never going to leave. <laughs> oh, well, that lasted till I was 21. But anyway, <laughs> began in middle school. We've all been there. But marriage satisfaction drops significantly. Now, the good news of this survey says that once kids leave home, whether they are 18, 19, 38, once they leave home, marriage... <laughs> 38 was a joke. It's a joke. We're not a cult. We don't invite kids to live at home till they're 50. Uh, But if you are, it's fine as well. Once kids leave home, marriage satisfaction goes up. Imagine that. However, it never gets as high as when you said, I do. According to the survey, Your marriage satisfaction will increase once kids leave, but it will never reach the peak that it did when you first got married. So all of you newlyweds in the room, it's all downhill from here. (laughs) You notice I started this out by saying it's a secular survey. Because what I happen to believe is that when we do marriage God's way, we go from glory to glory to glory to glory. I've been married to my wife for 25 years. And I have to tell you, today, we are happier today than we have ever been in the full 25 years. Now, we do have middle, no, we only have high school kids uh, in our home now. And then we have kids that have left our home. Uh, But we are the happiest that we've ever been. And I would have to say, I attribute that to the fact that Carrie and I We are people who always continue to grow. We refuse to stay stagnant. We're not afraid of facing our blind spots. We're not afraid of calling each other out on stuff. We're not afraid of having hard conversations. And we also aren't the kind of people that just like to keep status quo. Like Carrie and I always believe that there's something bigger and next for our marriage. And sometimes we'll go and do something, you know, the saying, if it's not broke, don't break it. We'll go and break stuff just to see if we can rebuild it better. When you're living marriage God's way, your marriage can thrive and get better. But the study says for the average person, it never gets better than their honeymoon. How sad is that? And how ridiculously crazy is that that the rookie is supposed to be the best? 
in nothing else in life is the rookie the golden years. In football, the rookie's just getting started. In business, the rookie's just getting his feet wet. In marriage, why is it that it's acceptable as a culture that the rookie is the highlight, the highlight reel of, of the longevity of our life together? God never intended it to be that way. So how to prove priorities? If my point number one is the law of priority, let me put some legs and feet to this point. How do I prove priorities? I need to show that I value my spouse and I prioritize the marriage with more than just my words. More than just my words, it requires action. The first action step is sacrifice. What are you willing to give up so that your marriage can survive? What are you willing to walk away from so that your marriage can actually be whole? Are you willing to walk away from that addiction? Are you, are you willing to walk away from that, that mindset of always being the victim? Are you willing to walk away from that narrative that you live of how everyone's always out to get you and, and your spouse is doing the same? Are you willing to walk away from the selfishness that says everyone needs to bow down to the things that you want and how you want it so that you can be happy? What sacrifice? Like, like, do you have skin in the game? Do we want this thing to work? I know that my wife and I, we have this saying, we've had it for 25 years. Listen, we're going to be married for the rest of our lives. We can do it one of two ways. We can do it happily or unhappily. Like we have staying power, as, as someone spoke of a couple of weeks ago. We know that our marriage is going to last, but we don't want just a, a marriage that is alive and limping. We want a marriage that is thriving. And that means that I may have to sacrifice some things that I thought were really important. That means that Carrie may have to sacrifice some things that she just really thought were non-negotiable. Sacrifice is action that proves Priorities. The second action item is time. Time. If you want your marriage to be successful, and I, I know this sounds so fundamental, fundamental and, and so like, really, I came to church, I got dressed and put on makeup, or, or men, I put on clean underwear for this. The, the reality is time is critical to your marriage, not just surviving, but thriving. In the business world, Money is the commodity of success, right? If I want to shut down a business, all I have to do is limit its funding. If I want a business to go under, if, if the enemy wants to ruin a business, he attacks the money because money is the commodity of business. Time is the commodity of relationship. If the enemy wants to destroy your marriage or even your relationship with your kids or your parents, whatever the dynamics are that you're thinking of in your mind right now, the number one, one of the main focuses that he has is he's trying to limit the time that you have with that person. There's this old saying that if the devil can't stand in front of you to stop you, he'll get behind you and push you to go faster. And our world is spinning out of control with so much 
access to this news and this technology and this entertainment and this song and this 30-second clip of somebody doing something hilarious and getting famous and making millions of dollars for doing something stupid that I do every day without anyone filming. The world is, is, is spinning. And if I want my marriage to really be a priority, I have to allocate the right amount of time. What's the right amount of time, Pastor? The right amount. Not too little. Not too much. The right amount. I mean, I, I would love to say 24 hours a day spend it with your wife, but some of you would kill each other. <laughs> and some of you need to make money. And some of you have kids to tend to. And some of you have dreams in your heart that the Lord has placed. I don't know what the right amount is for you, but I know that there's a right amount. And, and many of us aren't doing enough time, enough good time. I, I mean, think about going, I've used this illustration before, but think about going to a steakhouse. A fine dining, I don't know, what's a good steakhouse? You like Perry's? Perry's is pretty good. What? Steiner's. Oh, yes. Yeah, all of these are good. I, I accept gift cards to any one of those. <laughs> you go to these nice restaurants and you order this fantastic, fabulous, juicy, expensive steak. And you're going to pay $80 a plate. Like they flew the cow in from France. It's it's. It's going to be great. And the waiter, you know, you're paying 80 bucks, Paul, and the waiter sits it down, and there's this tiny little sliver of meat on your plate. And it is cooked to perfection. I mean, it is the right amount of pink or leather as you prefer. <laughs> it is perfectly seasoned. Like, it is just right, but you're concerned because it's just a little, little bit. And so you call the waiter over and you, you say, sir, I don't understand. I'm paying $80 for this steak. And he says, oh, sir, 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 no, 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 no. It's quality over quantity. And you think, no, I'm paying $80. I want both. I want good quality and a little more quantity, please. But don't we do that with our spouse? Oh, we don't have a lot of time, but the time we have is good. Oh, that's great. But you wouldn't have that mentality at a, a steakhouse. Let's not have it in the most important thing in your world and in your life. I, I get that you don't have a lot of time, but your spouse needs good time, a lot of it, to be priority. The third action item is energy. Energy. If you want to show that your marriage is a priority, you have to put in the right amount of energy. And then the fourth one is attitude. Have a good attitude. When your wife asks you to go to the garden shop <laughs> with all the plants, the same plants that were there last week, you go with a smile. <clears throat> Not only do we show our priority level with action. And I'll close as I talk about this. But we need to protect, protect our marriage from the good things in life. There are so many good things in your world right now trying to tear your marriage apart. The enemy to your marriage doesn't always look like it's got horns and a pitchfork. 
Sometimes it looks like a hefty bank account. Sometimes it looks like a pay raise. Sometimes it looks like your beautiful children. There are many, many good things that would like to be the priority in your world. And as good as your kids are, as beautiful and lovely and wonderful as your kids are, they cannot be number one in your life. What they need most from you, mom, what they need most from you, dad, is to see a marriage that has come first. A marriage that is actually modeled after biblical principles. Did you know that when kids see mom and dad are cohesive, there is unity between mom and dad. They're on the same page and mom and dad come first. Kids actually, they may not like it. They may throw a fit. They may say they want more time or they want this or they want to stay up later and they want to infringe on your date night. Why do you have to go? But there's so much safety and security rooted in the hearts of your kids when they see that mom and dad are number one. When you give your marriage up for your children, when you put your marriage on the back burner so that your kids can get all the attention that they need from you, you're failing to teach your kids what a successful marriage looks like. And I just need to remind all of you moms and dads and myself today, being a good parent is not our highest priority because our kids are temporary assignments. What does this look like for blended families? Some of you have blended families where one spouse brings in kids into the relationship. God's word stays the same. Do not marry someone that you can't place in a higher priority position than your children because that's what successful marriage looks like. I actually know many single parents that don't get married because they don't think that they can do that. And I, I have mad respect for people who are willing to raise their kids and not even entertain the notion of dating until their kids are off and away at college and then they can make someone else their priority. That's awesome that they are self-aware enough to know that they shouldn't date in this moment because my kids are the priority. That's great. But blended families... Don't get to break the rules and continue to fly. If your marriage is not number one, even above all the kids that are brought into the mix, your marriage will not survive. So let me close with this. Maybe close your eyes, put your hand over your heart. The first law I talked about was the law of priority. Here's what your spouse needs to hear from you. In very real terms, like no uncertain language, they, they need to hear this. I will make any change, any changes in my life that I need to make to make this marriage successful. Outside of Jesus Christ, you are my number one priority. There have been too many times where we have failed to give value and honor to the relationship that we should have placed value and honor with. So God, today I ask that over the next seven days that you will, God, stir within us a desire to prioritize the marriage relationship. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning?